0: Connecting for positive change.
1: Hello everyone, uh, and welcome to the first episode of the Hydro Generally podcast series brought to you by Innovate UK KTN. Um, So I'm Steph Eldred from the Clean Energy and Infrastructure team at Innovate UK KTN. And along with my colleague, Simon Buckley, who leads on zero emission mobility, we will be leading you through today's opening episode. So take a break, grab a tea, grab a coffee, and join us. Hi, Simon.
2: Hi, Steph. It's exciting to be involved in this foray into the world of podcasting. Um, I'm Simon Buckley. I'm from Innovate UK KTN's transport team. I look after zero emission mobility, and obviously hydrogen could be a big player in that field. The Hydro Generally podcast series uh, is giving a voice from the Hydrogen Innovation Network of Innovate UK KTN to explore the applications opportunities and challenges of the hydrogen economy. So we're really looking at the end use case. That's one of our primary aims. The Innovation Network, we're aiming to pull knowledge from exist- the existing hydrogen communities to help understand our challenges to enable the clean hydrogen production at scale and the uptake of that. Um, if you haven't already, then you can go to the Innovate UK KTM website through the link in the description you can sign up to receive newsletters and updates and as this series develops you'll find the future episodes here so please go there
1: for more information about hydrogen generally as well well thanks simon so for this first episode we want to go back to basics so a huge number of people have joined the hydrogen community over the past probably 12 even 18 months um, at Innovate UK KTN, we receive a huge number of inquiries from other people wanting to, to do so and to see where to go, who the players are. Um, while many of the existing um, players are some of the leading experts in the topic, uh, we felt it would be useful for newcomers to discuss the basics around uh, how hydrogen is currently produced, how it will be produced in the future uh, and how it will fit in with the energy system going forwards. So to help guide us through this, we are very pleased to welcome our special guest joining us today. Sam French is a business development director at Johnson Mathie. Um, hi, Sam, would you like to just tell us a bit about yourself and about your role?
0: Okay, brilliant. And uh, thanks for the invitation to join you both. Um, so yeah, I, I've been working at Johnson Matthew probably for about 17 years now uh started in a very technical uh, arena, computational chemistry actually. Uh, but since then I've moved towards more applied applications of the, the chemistry background I have before recently moving into business development. Um, I suppose most of the work I've done in business development has been looking at opportunities to use new feedstocks, new um, low-carbon feedstocks to produce the chemicals, so things like uh, how do we bring renewable electricity into processes using biomass or waste. Um, But more recently, probably over about the last five years, I've been very focused on low-carbon hydrogen uh, and we'll get into the different routes of manufacturing hydrogen. now I'm focused on green hydrogen uh, in a business that Johnson Mathey launched about a year ago. Um, and again, I know colours of hydrogen come up, we try and avoid them, but it's, it's hard to. So I, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to, to go through this and lay out some of the the real foundations of what we're trying to do here.
2: Thank you very much, Sam. Uh, and our first question is going to be about how, how hydrogen is produced. Um, and maybe link slightly into those colours as well.
0: Yes, as I say, you can't avoid them. In reality, uh, let's be clear at the outset, I think what we should be looking at is the carbon intensity of these different processes, and I think we'll unpack that later on. But it is hard to avoid the colours. So most hydrogen today is um, made by a process called steam methane reforming, involves the conversion of fossil fuels primarily natural gas where you mix natural gas uh, and the main component of natural gas is methane so methane and steam and you break it into uh, uh, syngas and syngas is a really important thing something Johnson Matthew has a real strong heritage in uh, syngas is a uh, a mixture of carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide and hydrogen. Now you can do a lot of things with syngas. You can make uh, methanol for example, sustainable aviation fuels. Uh, It's one of the key processes intermediates in the manufacture of ammonia and also critically for this discussion hydrogen. So essentially you feed um, natural gas and steam into a a, a, a A flow sheet, is called, which is a number of different unit operations that are all connected. Um, First of all, we've got to take out any impurities from the natural gas, so things like sulfur. Uh, We then mix in the the steam, as mentioned. We break it in a steam methane reformer um, where we have to put a lot of energy in, and we'll come back to that to drive the the reaction of... uh, breaking methane in its, to its constituent parts because it's very stable. We then go through some what's called water gas shift reactions and here what we're doing is trying to get more hydrogen into the product and essentially at the end of the day we've then got to split that syngas which is now predominantly hydrogen and CO2 into a pure hydrogen stream. So today that's how most hydrogen is manufactured and we would term that as grey hydrogen because it's been made from natural gas. The CO2 in that process is all emitted to atmosphere. So what we can look at doing is manufacturing hydrogen where we capture that CO2, we remove it from the stream and actually then sequester it using processes called carbon capture and storage. That's what people call blue hydrogen. The thing is though, because we're changing the product that we want, so in grey hydrogen, the product we want is high-purity, high-pressure hydrogen, and that's it. Blue hydrogen, we've now changed the product. We want high-pressure, high-purity hydrogen, but also high-pressure and high-purity CO2. What this means is actually you need to look at that flow sheet and think about whether the, all of the unit operations are right to produce that product as efficiently and cost-effectively as possible. So what we've done at Johnson Matthew is gone back and looked at that flow sheet and realised that actually using a steam methane reformer is probably not the right way to go. Because as I mentioned, you need to provide a lot of energy to drive the reaction. And in a steam methane reformer, what you do is you burn natural gas in burners to provide heat which drives the reaction in the steam methane reformer. That con- that um, burning fuel to drive the reaction contributes about 40% of the CO2 footprint of the process and that fuel because you've combusted it in air leads to a CO2 stream which is really dilute an atmospheric pressure and it's really expensive to capture that CO2. So if we want to get a truly low carbon blue hydrogen with a low carbon intensity, it's not a particularly efficient way of doing it. So what we've looked at is the use of what's called an autothermal reformer, whereas rather than burning natural gas to drive the reaction, we use oxygen which we inject into the autothermal reformer. That means all of the CO2 produced is within the product stream which means it's at high pressure and high concentration and much easier and more cost effective to capture at the end of the process where we're trying to split the streams of hydrogen and CO2. We also use a gas heated reformer in our flow sheets um, uh, because this makes the reaction even more efficient. So, by looking back at the flow sheet, we can now really drive the efficiency of the process, driving down the overall cost, both the capital and the OPEX costs of the process, and make a highly efficient um, flow sheet. To give you an example, um, we're really driving down the carbon intensity and we're targeting over 95% total CO2 removal from the process um, in the various projects that we're looking at. So this really can contribute to an overall hydrogen strategy. That blue hydrogen technology has been taken forward as part of the HiNet project which is up in the northwest of the UK which is one of the first projects that's being supported by government Uh, and we were also working with a number of the other clusters who are looking at their hydrogen technologies at the moment. Finally and quickly, the other one which is really uh, we're seeing a lot of movement in is around green hydrogen Um, and green hydrogen is the uh, electrolytic hydrogen production. Essentially what we need there is renewable electricity and water We bring the renewable electricity and water together in an electrolyzer stack, splitting that water into hydrogen and oxygen. So in some ways, a very simple process, and we can unpack some of the chemistry involved in there. But uh, very simple, but equally highly efficient process that really will be the future of how we produce hydrogen in a low-carbon, really sustainable way.
2: Thank you. And what about, I've heard of um, brown and black hydrogen and also pink
0: hydrogen as well? Uh, To be honest, Simon, there's a rainbow of colours of hydrogen. Um, And so, okay, I think primarily people talk about bright brown hydrogen as coming from coal. Um, So essentially you're gasifying coal, again, to make a syngas Uh, which CO2, CO, hydrogen, it will be a different ratio from what we had in uh, natural gas, a highest uh, carbon oxide content. Um, And again, you're looking at various water gas shift processes before then separating the hydrogen and the carbon oxides out. Uh, You could sequester the CO2 in that process as well. But primarily people aren't looking at doing that, partly because you are forming a lot of CO2. The driver in there is the lower cost of coal, but really in a net zero zero ambition, that's not going to be a good way to be making hydrogen in the future. Um, Pink hydrogen, generally I think that's where, again, people talk about different colours, but that's where you're using an electrolyzer again. But you're getting your electricity from nuclear. Okay, so it's just a different provision of electricity up front of your electrolyzer. And the electrolyzer can look exactly the same, it's just a different um, form of, as I say, of electricity, which will come with a different cost base, potentially a different. production cycle, because you probably got more of like a base load electricity. uh, Whereas with renewables, one of the elements that we need to work with is the fluctuations in availability of that electricity.
1: Cool. Cheers, Sam. Um, We definitely got the right person on this podcast, as we can tell. And the 95% reduction CO2 you talked about sounds like an amazing development on the blue side. Do you just happen, off the top of your head, do you just happen to have um, rough percentages of what the current UK production mix
0: looks like? Yeah, so in reality, nearly all hydrogen made today in the UK is uh, grey hydrogen uh, from fossil fuels. We don't actually produce a whole lot of hydrogen today in the UK. so quickly, the, the largest users of hydrogen um, globally are uh, refineries, and the key element there you're doing is removing sulfur out of uh, crude. So um, cleaning up uh, petrol and diesel essentially, so an uh, important process. Uh, particularly for for air pollution. And then the other ones are uh, ammonia production and methanol production. So we do have a couple of ammonia plants in the UK. Uh, Again, so you're using hydrogen to then insert into the Harbour Bosch Loop. Um, And there are a couple of steam methane reformers on refineries. There are also some hydrogen produced as a by-product from chloralkali processes. And and some small electrolyzers. Um, so in reality, our hydrogen um, production today is is really small. But what you'll have seen within the ten point plan and the hydrogen strategy that was released by government last year is a five gigawatt ambition, by or, and I'm hoping we're beyond ambition to target by twenty thirty. So we're going to have to get going and we're going to have to be deploying large projects and quickly. I mentioned earlier uh, Hynet up in the northwest of the UK, that's on the Stanlow Refinery. So again, providing hydrogen into a refinery complex. But in this case, we're now providing low carbon, very low carbon hydrogen. Um, and that's phase one. The subsequent phases will start looking at how you fuel switch away from natural gas, for example, in gla- glass manufacture, at the likes of Pilkington, and really starting to build low carbon hydrogen out as a fuel source into an industrial environment there. On the northeast coast, uh, the the first carbon capture and storage cluster that's going forward is. Uh, a combination of projects out of the Humber and Teesside, and both of those also have real ambitious plans for low carbon hydrogen. The reserve cluster at the moment's up in Scotland, um, up near St. Fergus where a lot of UK natural gas lands, and that will need to come online as well uh, before, way before the 2030s, if we're gonna hit that five gigawatt target. Critically, this shouldn't be all about blue hydrogen, though, and we're very supportive of the government's twin track approach, where we also need really large projects, green hydrogen projects coming forward, but then also some smaller projects which are more delocalized. Um, for example, some that are really that one area that's gaining traction, which is interesting. Is the use of hydrogen in uh, distilleries, particularly whiskey distilleries, where they're shifting away from using natural gas as a fuel to using hydrogen? Now, you can understand to some extent that that's um, a product, a premium product that can probably afford an increased price uh, in their energy bill. Um, so we have to be realistic that that's a bit of a niche application, but it's a really good example of how hydrogen can work in a delocalised environment um, as well as the large industrial clusters that I've mentioned.
2: Thanks for mentioning the UK's hydrogen strategy. So it was a key thing to uh, to look at for everyone in, in the space. Um, Steph, there was a number of consultations within that strategy. I don't know if you could just give us a quick overview of those consultations.
1: Well, the hydrogen strategy was sort of eagerly anticipated for most, it felt like for most of last year and it It sort of landed about August time. Um, They refer a lot to low carbon hydrogen playing a significant role. And as Sam has uh, spoken about comprehensively that that definition of low carbon kind of includes blue and green. We've already mentioned about the twin track approach which means that the blue hydrogen can be, you know, scaled up significantly to, to 2030 um, and help establish the, the infrastructure and demand. But then at the same time, green production, green hydrogen production can be demonstrated at scale and, you know, can focus on reducing the production cost Um I think we'd all like to see more focus on the green side, but understand that blue's key, and especially with what Sam's mentioned about that 95 percent reduction in CO2, blue's obviously key to getting it moving in the short term. Um, there's a lot of activity surrounding that strategy and coming out of the strategy. And so um, there was a big consultation on the low-carbon hydrogen standard. So in terms of just standardising what we're referring to when we talk about low carbon hydrogen, and I think the outcome of that is due out any day now. So I think that will be key. Um, And then also um, any day now, or certainly into this year, we're waiting for the net zero hydrogen fund to be launched, which has more of a focus on green, and there's there's 240 million in the pot for that one. So again, I think that'll be key to helping to to drive that. I mean, Sam, you've already mentioned about the twin track approach. Do you know, do you know much more about the low carbon hydrogen standard coming out shortly? Or?
0: We were in conversation with Bayes yesterday, um, and I think we will, as you've mentioned, see that low carbon hydrogen standard come forward fairly soon. Uh, I think at the moment they're looking at a single threshold. And essentially, that will be the threshold that gives you access to the business models and also, to some extent, some of the funding through the Net Zero Hydrogen Fund. When we replied to the consultation, we were pushing for a high barrier to that um, standard because we really think that, particularly, I suppose, for blue hydrogen, it's got to be squeaky clean if it's going to be viewed as being part of our net zero strategy. I've mentioned 95%. In reality, um, we're pushing higher uh, than that with some of the the, particularly, for example, high net. I think though that it's important. And um, some of my colleagues would be telling me off for talking about percentages because we really should be talking about carbon intensities um, because Whilst, yes, it sounds great to have a threshold of 95% if you've got a really low efficiency process and you're producing lots of CO2, that 5% still could be quite a lot. So there, let's remember there's a combination of what the efficiency of the process is as well as what the efficiency of the capture plant on the back is, and what we're really trying to do is push those as both as high as possible. What we think at the moment is that it's likely that initially there'll be a lower threshold to get more projects in. I worry a little bit though that for particularly for something like a blue hydrogen project it's likely to have some you know at least a 20-year life to get the kind of the, the asset value and the payback for that project and so if we're putting those on the ground we really need to have a think of what the targets you know that that's Heading out to to 2045, you know, that we're five years off our need to be at net zero. So we should really make sure the projects going down today are future proofed. I think the other bit that they're sort of struggling with is where you draw the boundary, which is understandable, uh, and how you deal with things like electrolyzers when they're running on the grid. uh, How do you count the carbon intensity of that hydrogen when the grid? clearly is fluctuating it's becoming having you know the the direction of travels to a lower carbon intensity grid but today still we rely on fossil fuels natural gas primarily probably for 50% of our electricity requirement so I can see it's not an easy thing to do but they are, I think they're going about it in a good way by really having an open consultation I think the comment when we spoke yesterday that was there really wasn't that much of a consensus uh, in actually what the absolute figure should be. But, um, you know, so they've got work to do.
1: Thanks, Sam. Yeah, really, really comprehensive. Again, um, just I think we're... We're coming to the end of our time it's been great to discuss to discuss this just simon very quickly um i know you're passionate about the need for green uh and in our next episode we're going to be talking about how and where hydrogen should be used so uh, appreciating that this is a whole podcast in itself but i just wondered in a nutshell if you had any thoughts on how the transport community feel about the green hydrogen space
2: yeah i think it very much depends on what type of transport you are talking about um because obviously that is covering everything from micro mobility where hydrogen almost definitely is not suitable to aviation or maritime where it may be much more suitable um generally obviously in transport applications as with all business money and cost of operation is is really important um and there's also net zero into the mix uh with net zero there are various targets for passenger cars hgvs um there's also maritime 2050 plan and uh, i'll move to jet zero as well um and to achieve those roles particularly in the heavier sectors hydrogen it is clear is going to play um a key part uh so There's particular keenness, I think, in the aviation sector, maritime sector and also the HGV sector to explore hydrogen uh, and how it can work. It's also quite a few hydrogen buses out there um, and they're being trialled up and down the country or more than trialled in service up and down the country. Um, And we've got a really Innovate UK and DFT have got a hydrogen freight trial um so we did, we've been doing feasibility projects over the last um 6 months um and in the spending review you can see that there's uh, a large amount of money to aviation maritime and hgvs and i think hydrogen could play a key part in some of those
1: Cool. That's great. Cheers, Simon. It's uh, exciting times, isn't it? I think um, in the interest of keeping our first episode short and snappy, I think we're going to um, wrap up there. So thank you so much, Sam. Um, it's always tricky to ask some of the more basic questions in a community that feels like it's it's absolutely filled with experts. So um, I'm sure our listeners have, have welcomed that. Uh, thank you all for listening. Um, We've added the useful links and the direct link to the Innovate UK KTN website in the description. Don't forget to sign up and receive newsletters and updates. And in the next episode, as we just said, we'll explore sort of where hydrogen should be used. Um, so thanks again for following us. We hope you've enjoyed the first episode. And until next time, goodbye.
0: Connecting for positive change.